0: Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in High Fidelity.
1: Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is God in Country, the collision of faith and politics, hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical Rev. Dr. Sean is a proud military veteran, excellence killed the church how mediocrity is destroying america dr sean michael greener well if you say
2: so this is the ninja pastor welcome to the collision of faith and politics that's right you reached the right place i'm all for it get on with your bad self now, uh, since you did so well in getting to the right place at the right time, I'm going to tell you some other places where I'd be at. Um, I'm on Twitter, at the Ninja Pastor, at the Ninja Pastor. I'm on uh, LinkedIn. I don't know how you find me there. Just put in my name. Whatever. You'll find me. I don't even know. I don't know anything about LinkedIn. I have a bunch of people follow me. I don't even know how. It's pretty cool, and I do put, post stuff there frequently i'm on uh what's that thing called with the pictures uh photographs um that gummit what is it oh by the way i'm opening chat right instagram 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 ding 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 i'm on instagram and i post my photography there now don't get all excited it is a very very um how should we say i'm a newbie so i'm very very new to the whole uh photography and i'm doing a little bit of aerial photography. So should be fun. I try to put some uh, unique things on there. I'm learning and uh, I just try to do some cool stuff. But anyway, on Facebook, facebook.com backslash SM greener or at God and country radio. If you do at God and country radio in the search bar, uh, it'll find me there. Some new thing. I don't even know. I don't know how I did it. Uh, My buddy Sean manages the um, Sean S E A N way smarter. Uh, Sean manages the God and country radio show page at God and country radio. You type that in, you'll go right to it. So no worries. Click on like while you're there. Follow me. Uh, I, you, if what you want to do, um, if you go to the regular Sean Greener, Facebook, Sean Michael Greener, Facebook page, um, I can't friend anybody, but, uh, you could just click on follow also follow me on Twitter again, at the Ninja pastor. And, uh, where else can you follow me? Gee whiz, I'm all over the place. Oh yeah yeah yeah. dot com, or at uh, or theninjapastor.com. I think that's what it is. theninjapastor.com. You go there and then there'll be a little thing pops up and if you want to you want to link in with us, not linkedin but link in with us. Um, we don't sell your name. Uh, frankly, I don't know how to sell your name. I wouldn't sell your name anyway, but um No, it's your name. You keep your name. It's a good name. Uh, So you just put your first and uh, last name in there. Uh, You can make up a name. I don't care. What do I care? Uh, But put your email address in there, a valid email address, and you get the updates and stuff. For anybody else does, you're an insider. Doesn't cost you anything for that. None of this ever does. So, okay, this is episode 9,211,442.5. And uh, this episode is biased media. And Colin, ready for this? I changed his name. <laughs> Instead of Kaepernick or Kaepernick, it's Capper, not Saint Nick. Uh, so that's biased media. And Colin Capper, not Saint Nick. Doctor Steve Turley will be on with us again here in a little bit. He's currently doing another interview. He is so popular. That'll give us time to do some other stuff before he gets over here to us. Uh, And then you all are in luck. I would say y'all, but I don't want to be too country, even though I'm extremely country. Y'all are in luck because the great Dave Perkins, uh, nationally known uh, radio personality, used to be a, a news guy on the Blaze Radio Network, an absolutely extraordinary guy. I'm so fortunate to call him friend, personal friend. He's a great, great guy. Really smart dude. I'm begging him to write a book, but alas, no such luck. So maybe you all can. um... (laughs) Hey, chat is open. Did I mention that? Welcome to everyone in chat. By the way, um, one of the things that you can receive absolutely free at no cost or obligation to you I mean, literally no cost or obligation to you on the ninjapastor.com or It, I, I don't know what do we have, 9 million hours of uh, of content there. You name it, you search it, you go over to listen. There we have a player right there. See, it's super easy for you. you can play it and listen to it any way you want. But a lot of these things you can just tweet out. Just tweet out the link and tweet it out to people. Share it with people. Look, you want me to still be here next week? You got to tell, you got you to gotta be my, you got to be my eyes and ears. Um, so share, share and like, and click and point and click and www and whatnot. Well, what have (laughs) you? People are looking at me funny anyway. Hey, I'm today. This is just my usual uninformed and dispassionate and totally politically correct self. That's me today, today, today. Not really. So anyway, Hey, today, uh, in all seriousness, today is uh, Reverend uh, Franklin Graham's father, Doctor Reverend Doctor Billy Graham, uh, Reverend Doctor Billy Graham's ninety seventh birthday today. And in all sincerity, um, uh, he came to Christ just uh, came to faith in Christ just a week before his sixteenth birthday. He went home and told his mother what he had done, and he knew for sure that his heart had changed, even though. Uh, he can't preach anymore. He you know everybody that that knows him knows his mind is still clear and he still has a strong desire to tell the world about God's love for them and, and how God sent his Son uh, Jesus Christ from heaven to earth to take the sins of all mankind to the cross, to die and to arise on the third day as prophesied. Um, Dr. Graham, His desire that all men and women everywhere would come to know Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, as a personal savior and trust him and follow him as their Lord. Now, let me say this. Most of you don't know this. Some of you might know this, but most of you don't know this. Uh, But the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham is the reason he and Dr. David Jeremiah. Now, this is an interesting story. Maybe it's not so interesting to you, but it is interesting to me uh, because I lived it. Uh, Dr. David Jeremiah he, um, I went through a real transition. I was called to preach long before I accepted the call and, I uh, fought it tooth and nail and I literally fought it tooth and nail and tried to unqualify and disqualify myself in every way that I could from the ministry. However, the, the, the bottom line is, is one day I was staying with my dear friends, John and Cindy Campanella. Um, and, uh, it just, for whatever reason, I just holed up in the room, the beautiful, lovely room and their beautiful, lovely home. And uh, I had the, I had the, uh, I had the window shades up and, and, you know, I could see outside and, and uh, all day, I literally sat there all day, didn't eat, uh, didn't, didn't barely drink anything. And I was just listening to sermons by Dr. Jeremiah and, and Billy Graham and Billy Graham had always moved me. I mean, always, always moved me. Now, those of you who know me, you know that I'm, I am not a rabid evangelist in the sense that uh, most people think of. I'm, uh, my brand of evangelism is very, very different, I think, than, than what you probably are, uh, ex- you know, what you, your experience is. But let me say this, uh, the fact of the matter is, is, is Dr. Graham really knew how to reach people. He really knew how to speak their language and go to them, but keep the gospel clear, untainted. Um, he he would tell you very frequently he's not a perfect man, and um, you know he would he would frequently talk about how flawed he was. However, I think it's very very important to remember uh, this this very important thing that that he answered the call and God worked on him as he went. And, you know, after I think it was about seven or eight hours of listening to Dr. Jeremiah and Dr. Billy Graham, I finally surrendered. I said, all right, Father, whatever this looks like, I don't know, whatever you want me to do, you know, I'll do it. And I was just tired of fighting it. And, and uh, I had certainly made a, a mess of plenty aspects of my life. And I'm certainly so far from perfect now. I'm so far from even moderately good. But the point of all this is, is the very second I made that decision, I kid you not, other people have confirmed this in the area where I, where I was staying. I looked out the window, almost like a breather. I looked out the window and what did I see? Uh, A double rainbow. Plain as, I mean, it was just so bold. You know how sometimes you see a rainbow, you really can't make it out. You think there's some color there, but you just, it's it's just not very clear. Well, I have to say in this particular case, it was clear. It was clear as a bell. The colors were very very clear and it was very very powerful. Um and uh, I have to I have to just tell you that, you know, that may freak some people out and think, "Well, wow, that's just a coincidence." Well, whatever. Uh read, I think all of I'm pretty sure all of Billy Graham's books. um, I've read several of Dr. Uh, David Jeremiah's books and uh, I've listened to both of them preach, you know, for I don't know how many hours, but God can use people in all different aspects of your life. One of the things you have to do is you have to get rid of the notion that somehow or another the messenger has to be perfect. You know, somehow or another the messenger has to represent the very most perfect of, of the world. You know, they can't have any flaws. They can't have ever failed. They can't have ever uh, done anything that they weren't supposed to do. And, uh, and, and if that's the case, you just can't even look at them as a, as a potential model or, or someone, someone to learn something from. Well, I'm going to tell you, you got to let that go. And, and, and you, you might You might also think about presidential candidates. Now, I know a lot of people be cringing now, um, but I have to say, you know, our presidential candidate is not going to be perfect until Jesus himself runs, and he's not going to run. He changed politics um, in the world. He changes history, and he's going to change everything again when he returns. The fact of the matter is, is until Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus Christ, runs for office, which he ain't, he's already King of King and Lord of Lords. Um, there's not going to be a perfect person. So you need to let that go. You need to let it go. Just, just, if you might say, well, it's lesser or two evils to try to vote him for that. I get that, man. I really, really do get that. I do. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, my buddy that's coming on a little bit later on uh, today, uh, Dave Perkins, one of the smartest people I know, and 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 even though he and I both are of one accord, we we agree that Trump would have never been our first choice. He wouldn't have been our fifteenth choice. What? How many ran? Sixteen, but he is our sixteenth choice, and he is our choice. Everybody else fell by the wayside, and he won. Uh, he he kicked everybody's butt, and um, you may dispute his business acumen, and and I've done whole shows on Donald Trump um, when he was a candidate, uh, and not our nominee, but now that he's our nominee, bottom line is he's our nominee. And I don't want to see Hillary Clinton, uh, get into office under any circumstances. Uh, my very strong feeling on this. My belief is that Hillary Clinton needs to be in jail and then she needs to be punished severely. Well, she's an old lady. Well, you know what? She has been a criminal for the last, she's, she's entered into a criminal enterprise the last 35 years. Or so, and she needs to be punished. She needs to be prosecuted. She needs to be punished publicly for uh, what she has done. And they're evil, evil crimes. Someone uh, on social media suggested, and I guess maybe seven point one thousand people suggested that uh, a good move for Donald Trump. And I and I have to say I agree with this. A good good move for Donald Trump is to. Uh, use his air. You know, he has multiple aircraft. By the way, everybody sees that big plane that he flies around on, and they think that's his only aircraft. He has many, many aircraft. But um, they they should take that aircraft and fly around and pick up the survivors from Benghazi, and take his. You know, they they get a certain number of seats up front. Uh, take take those seats and use them instead of using them for his family, and put the survivors of Benghazi there, and then ask, make sure he asks, you know, so why did you tell the world that this was due to a video? Why did you tell uh, these survivors, these parents and uh, husbands or or, uh, wives, mothers, fathers, why did you tell them this had to do with a video, a terrible internet video, when your emails, when you finally released them, what you lied about in the first place, second place, third place, and still are lying about them? Why'd you tell them such a big fat lie? Why are you such a, a such a liar and and why did you why did you allow our our people to die when you clearly could have done something? Why did you ignore 600 ladies and gentlemen, 600 requests for help? Well that's a big deal. I don't know about you, but that's a really, really big deal. So anyway, that's what I suggest that he would do. That's free of charge, no cost obligation to you. So the state of Delaware, uh they, you know first state you know led the way ratified the constitution december 7 1787 um led the way but now they're going to lead the way in another way and I, and I don't like this way not even remotely okay so so you know the new standards uh the new automobile standards are pretty strict you know that's why automobiles are you know they're always driving to make the car lighter uh, they're always shaving off every inch. It's really silly. Cars aren't like they used to be. There's uh, there 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 are also a lot a lot of cars now. Uh, I was just talking talking about this with uh, my mail lady, the best mail lady in the world. She is um, U.S. male. Her name is Tina, and Tina is she's been my my uh, mail lady. You know, actually, the the politically correct term, the actual correct term is mailman mailman has no uh it's it's mail carrier mail carrier but mailman is uh allowable so anyway that has nothing to do with anything other other than she's just amazing and we know that when she's out because you know we get the wrong people's mail and hey so we were just talking about this today um and we're talking about how many recalls, I'm taking my son's car tomorrow, has a, that Tanaka airbag. You've guys heard of that, Honda, major, major recall. And so they've got to take out the module uh, that powers the explosive device that powers the airbag. Now, those of you who know me know I was uh, permanently disabled, 100% disabled, in a head-on 92-mile-per-hour uh, versus 51-mile-per-hour head-on car crash in which uh, a young man, 17 years old, in the other vehicle, Uh, passed away. I was going 51. They were going, actually, when they hit the median, they were going 109. And they, they, when they hit me, they had scrubbed their speed down to 92. Head on, I went from 51 miles per hour to zero in seven feet. All that said to say this, I was in a big uh, Suburban, even though I wasn't supposed to have survived. They were in a huge uh, SUV as well. And you know they have these crumple zones, and they have all this styrofoam. You you might never know this. You might you might not know this, but if you are ever at a crash site, you're not in the crash. Look around, you'll see a lot of styrofoam and little bits and pieces of styrofoam laying all over the ground. Well, the reason for that is because they stuff styrofoam as a energy dissipation and attenuation device. Well, they do that because uh, they got to make cars lighter because of these cafe standards. So what happens? They come up with these uh, vehicles. They say, hey, we have to save gas. We have to save fuel. And as a result, um, the cars that are on the road are burning less fuel for the number of miles they're driving is burning less fuel. Well, the government uh, takes as much as you you want to be mad at somebody about your, your, uh, your gas costing so much. Be mad at the government because the government does not a thing. To help get that um, fuel out of the ground and refined and and delivered to gas stations. Nothing. Not a thing. They don't do anything for that money. But they take up to 54, 58 cents of every gallon that you pay. Every every gallon that you pay, uh, 54 to 58 cents. That's, I mean, ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. They haven't done anything for it. Plus they tax the oil and gas companies nearly into oblivion and they don't do anything to help them. They only make their job harder. So because of all this, the cars, mission accomplished. First of all, you know, the cars are lighter and more fuel efficient, even pickup trucks, my pickup truck, I can get, I think I've gotten on long trips. I've gotten as much as 28.2 miles per gallon. it has got 455 horsepower, almost 500 foot pounds of torque. It's like a sports car, but it's extremely efficient. Well, what happened? You you know what's coming. You know what's coming. Uh, the state of Delaware, and we're not the only one, the state of Delaware is not the only state uh, to do this, but uh, the Associated Press reported on this yesterday and, and updated it uh, this afternoon. Delaware, the state of Delaware, eyes mileage fees as an alternative to gas tax. Now, are you feeling me now? You're you're seeing what's happening, right? So they want us to cut back on our, they want us to get better gas mileage. They want us to not drive as much. And, but then all of a sudden, Hey, I'm, I'm in a jam here. I'm, I'm not getting as much money. You know, this is the state. I don't know if the state talks like that, but that's, uh, I'm imitating what I think the state sounds like. Hey man, like, where's all my money? Like, where did all my money go? Like how I'm going to, um, how I'm going to have money to spend on like education programs and like stuff like that. Like what I'm supposed to do. Like I don't have my money. And, um, so like you guys did what you were asked to do and then now I don't get money. Well, here's the problem. The the Delaware's Department of Transportation, they they got a $1.49 million federal grant for a pilot study regarding the feasibility of charging drivers a mileage-based user fee to help pay for road projects. Mileage-based user fee. Now that is a tax, folks. Department of Transportation is uh, is a government entity because they can tax you. They can take money from, they may not call it a tax. They're going to call it a user fee. Now that brings me to toll roads. I'm going to get back to this, but it brings me to toll roads. Something that chaps my rear, and I mean chaps my rear, is on, now we got a big holiday. Uh, the state of Delaware is a um, is a resort. You know, it's it's got a resort in the southern part of the state. It's a very small state. Takes you 90 minutes. Well, about 90 minutes. Yeah, about 90 minutes to drive north to south, tip to tip. And at one end of it is Resort Beach, the Beach, and Dewey Beach, and Lewis Beach, and Cape and Love State Park, and Bethany Beach, and Fenwick, and all that stuff. It's all beaches, and it's a big deal. It's a big deal in the summer. So there's a major toll road there called Route 1, and on Route 1, Monday through Thursday, and for part of Friday, the toll is $1. Now, if you go south, through the city of Dover, which is the capital, you're going to pay a dollar. If you go north, Monday through Thursday and part of Friday, you're going to pay a dollar If you go through Dover on Route 1. Except for the afternoon at a certain point, it's the magic hour, when they triple that dollar to $3. Are, you guys hear me, right? And, and And what they'll say is, look, it's $3. Right. So I, I head uh, south and north uh, a couple times, times, uh, many times on Fridays and, and during the week. And so for that privilege, I get to pay six dollars for the same privilege that cost me two dollars just a day before. Maybe even an hour before. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, to you, you may think that's pretty pedantic. That's pretty childish. Why? Why are you fussing about that? Uh, because it's theft folks, it's, it's theft. And, and, and ultimately we have to be aware of getting, what do they call it? Um, nickel and dime to death. Right. But this isn't nickel and diming. This is, this is, it's a dollar. You math geniuses out there. It's a dollar Monday through part of Friday. And then this bewitching hour of Friday, some certain part, magical time on Friday, it is now $3. Well, how did that happen? How in the world did that happen? How did that happen? Who voted on that? Did anybody vote on it or was this some obscure... Uh, oh, it's very benign, very benign. We're just going to raise it a little bit. It's still under $5. It's still under, you know, other states charge you $7, 8 9 12 They charge you a lot of money. Not us. It's only $3. Now, they have these little transponders. They're called Pass. You guys know all about Pass. It's a little transponder, right? So so they can't say that it's for road maintenance. It's for because there's more people on the roads where it's roads out. Um, come on. It's, yeah, there's a lot of people, but I don't, you can't convince me that it's that much more at some point in time on Friday until uh, Sunday evening. You can't convince me of that. And you also can't convince me that the reason for the extra money, oh, by the way, the reason for the extra money is because we have to pay all these toll booth people. They have this thing called the Easy Pass that's hooked up in your card. You don't have to touch it. You link it to your credit card, and guess what happens? It magically talks to the little transponder that's above you. You go through the fast lane, the Easy Pass fast lane. They don't even have to count it. They don't. There's no administration on the inside. Nobody goes. Oh, well, Sean, Dr. Sean just went by. Wave at him. Everybody getting near the picture window. There he goes. No, that's not how it works. Welcome to our guest in in uh, chat, by the way. Thank you for joining us. So, so that's not how it works. That's, that's not how any of this works. Uh, In fact, due to automation, there's almost, nobody needs to even be in there. I mean, there's some basic accounting functions. And if the public, you know, wants to come in and say, hey, my transponder's not working anymore. Can you hook me up? Uh, They'll do that. You know, they'll do that. Oh, my little Velcro fell off. Oh, I got a new car. Can you give me those little Velcro strips? So the Federal Highway Administration on Tuesday announced $14.2 million in grants for several states to explore alternative alternative revenue mechanisms, in other words, ways to take your money, to help sustain the long-term solvency of the Highway Trust Fund. Delaware's grant provides funding for a multi-state pilot study in collaboration with members of the Interstate 95 Corridor Coalition using onboard mileage counters and 50 vehicles to explore the feasibility of replacing the gas tax with a mileage-based user fee. The pros project will be overseen by a steering committee of coalition members co-chaired by Delaware Transportation Safety, um, I'm sorry, Delaware Transportation Secretary Jennifer Cohen. Now, you might say, Sean, I don't live in your state, so what do I care? Uh, Yeah. Coming to a town near you. Now, how do you fix this? I said, uh, quite, quite apoplectic, how did this happen? I say it every time I drive through and it's not a dollar, it's three dollars. Every time I rant and rave, you best be glad you're not on the phone with me or in the car with me because I'm telling you, I go ballistic every single time. Now, one of my projects uh, that I work with is, is a group called CSG, Center for Self-Governance. C S G center for self-governance.com. Now, September, uh, center for self-governance has made a huge commitment to Delaware. Huge. They said, we want to, we want to turn this first state around. We want to reclaim our, uh, we want to reclaim, reclaim our power and our control. We want to reclaim our liberty and our freedom. So what are we doing now? You gotta, I'm telling you, you gotta write this down center for self-governance.com or go to dr. Sean greener.com. There'll be a link there. Center for Self Governance uh, is coming in, in the month of September, a, a month that's very near and dear to me. Um, they will be in Newark and Middletown and also downstate. That's what we call it the Southern Delaware. You know, there's only three counties in Delaware, right? Sussex, uh, there's Newcastle, farthest north, Kent County, and then Sussex County. And there's one area code, 302. That's it. It's the whole deal. So, um, on, we've got. All kinds of stuff going on, but um, it's kind of really kind of cool here. Um, really, really kind of cool how this works. If you have ever taken a class with Center for Self-Governance um, on Tuesday, 9-20, uh, September 20th, you could take level two. If you live downstate or somewhere like that, uh, maybe you live in Kent County. It's not far. Like I said, it's 90 minutes to drive the whole state. For Pete's sake. We're not making a watch here. Um, you can—I mean, you can. People are are texting me saying that's impossible. How can you drive a whole state in ninety minutes? You can. I'm not making this up. This is how it works. We're a tiny state. We're second smallest state in the in the uh, country. We have one of the highest crime rates, unfortunately. All due, thank you very much to Wilmington, great bastion of of uh, liberal and progressive Democrat ideology. All that said to say, if you want to fight that stuff, here's your chance. So we'll go Tuesday to Friday. And the great Mark Hur, by the way, one of the founders of Center for Self-Governance, he'll be teaching. Uh, he always stays at my house, and, and we love it. He's a great guy, super smart dude, super smart guy. Uh, so Tuesday, 920. That's a Tuesday, 920. Level two will be uh, in Sussex County at First State Manufacturing. Now, I've been to that. It's in Milford, Delaware. It's really uh, the the city. This is interesting to some, maybe just to me. Milford, Delaware. Part of Milford is in Kent County. Part of Milford is in Sussex County. I think that's kind of cool. Anyway, first state manufacturing Milford, Delaware. Beautiful place. Really, really lovely accommodations um, from nine to four. You can take level two if you've taken level one. Don't worry if you have your you might say, well, I don't have my program requirements. Any of that stuff finished. I'm started on them, but I'm not finished. We're going to help you complete them. That's one of the things we're committed to doing. I've completed level five and 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 in the process of that, we we came upon the idea of hey, let's help, let's help everybody get the program requirements done. You might say, Well, that's a pain in the neck. Program requirements help you learn what to do in real life. They help you to take back your government. Self-governments, the center for self-governments. That's why it's called that. I don't know if you know. So, then you've got Wednesday, 9-21, 21st of September, Level 4, Newcastle County. That's at a private home in Middletown. You have to register for these. You know, we kind of have to check you out a little bit. We don't want to have you up in here, you know, getting all crazy on us. So, Wednesday, nine twenty-one, Level 4, it will be at a private home in the, in the town of Middletown, Delaware. Nice, you'll be comfortable, with food, the whole bit. Um, multimedia presentation, the whole bit. Level four. If you've taken level four before, this is a totally new and dynamic level four. The one before is a just blow your mind. This one's even better. So you can take it again. You can audit it for, I think, ten dollars. If you've never taken level four, then take the class. Um, it's, it's powerful. That's nine to four. So much bang for your buck, let me tell you. Then Thursday, 922, at that same home, we're going to have a Delaware Constitution class. Now, this last Constitution class that we had was amazing. It was packed to the gills. People were ranting and raving, and we said, you know what? We're going to do this thing again. So 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. on Thursday, 922, Delaware Constitution class. It, by the way, it'll blow your mind what's in the Constitution. So, you, you, you know, oh, by the way, let me just finish with this. Uh, Friday. September 23rd. That is a famous day. Do you guys know why that's so famous? Does anybody know? Does anybody know why Friday 923 is so famous? It's such an important date in history. That's when I was born. I was born that day. I was born. Yeah, I was four pounds. Little guy. Little guy. I'm still pretty small. Uh, Friday 923, level three. If you've taken level two, don't worry if you've completed your program requirements or not. We're going to help you with that. That's in Newcastle County, at a church in Newark, a beautiful meeting place, Newark, Delaware. That goes nine to four, nine p.m. to four p.m. It is a full day. It is amazing. You'll be blown away. I've never sent anybody there to these classes that didn't say, "Holy moly, man, this is incredible." You say you want to do something. Look, I, I hear people all the time. Look, I'm ranting and raving over this over this uh, three dollar deal, and they're now they're going to now they're trying to switch. So this is a look. It matters because it's a taxing entity. They can take money out your pocket. They can take money out of your family's budget. Okay? It's the secret sauce. Hashtag secret sauce. Uh, Good to have you, Steve from Ohio. Um, Again, chat is open. Look, they're, they're doing this alternative to the gas tax. Now, do you think that they're going to get rid of the gas tax? Come on, don't be a sucker. There's nothing worse than being a sucker. No, they're not going to get rid of the gas tax. They're going to say we need to augment the gas tax with a mileage fee. And no, it won't hurt grandma or or grandpa, you know, they only drive. Look at my mom is is 80 something years old and she doesn't drive very far, so no, that won't hurt her, sure. Now how do you fight this? How do you how do you keep these theft? How do you keep this theft from happening? Because you're stealing money out of your pocket. Can we agree the government, our roads are in terrible shape? Traffic is horrible. Can we agree on this? Is this something we can agree upon? Well, you want to do something. This is the something. You say, well, I've got to take off from work. You take off from work to do some other things that aren't anywhere near as important as saving your country. If you live in Delaware, Maryland, you don't have to be from Delaware, by the way. Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. That's a short drive. Any of these classes are a short drive. And I'll be at them, by the way. I'll be signing books and and all that stuff. Not for nothing. I'm just saying to you, if you say you want to do something, but you've got, you've, that something is not Facebook posts. It's not snappy, jazzy tweets. It's, it's, it's not even creating these cool memes that we like to look at. And they're really neat. Uh, that's not it either. And, and talking to your neighbor and ranting and raving, not the same thing. It's not the same thing. That stuff might make you feel better, but it's not going to save the republic. It's not going to keep the republic. Centerforselfgovernance.com. You got to go there. Go there and make it happen. Make it happen. So, who we have with us today, we've been on the show before. I'm really excited about it. I'm always really excited about it. He's a really smart guy, but he's one of those really super smart guys that's fun to talk to and hang out with. He's just a cool, cool dude. His name is Dr. Stephen Turley. He's an internationally recognized scholar, speaker, and blogger at turleytalks.com. That's T-U-R-L-E-Y-T-A-L-K-S.com. And furthermore, he's the author of Awakening Wonder, a classical guide to truth, goodness, and beauty. Now, I have the e-version of that book, and I'm telling you, it's riveting. This is a riveting book. Uh, Dr. Turley, by the way, he's a teacher of theology, Greek, and rhetoric at Tall Oaks Classical School in Newcastle, Delaware. He's a professor of fine arts at Eastern University. We're uh, we're always so pleased to have Dr. Turley on. And Dr. Turley, uh, hey, how are you doing, Steve?
0: I'm by doing the way. awesome, Sean. It's great to be back with you. It's always great to chat with you.
2: Sweet, I bet you I bet you wrote this article and you got a lot of interviews going on. I'm glad that uh, you ha- you could make the time to be on today. Um, oh, I fun. love how. Ha- yeah. Well, I love how you start this. Now, anybody that knows me, um, executiveprotectionteam.com um, is one of our things that we used to do, and I still do some consulting whenever possible. And and executiveprotectionteam.com, you'll see we protected people. Uh, high level armed executive protection. Well, one of the people four days after my crash, I was due to protect a uh, very prominent political figure, national political figure and Tim Tebow. Oh, wow. Anybody that knows me knows that I love that dude. I love that yeah. dude. I followed him since high school. I have watched this kid play since high school and I've watched him go to national championships in high school and college. I've watched him break passing records, running records, I've watched him take a, a suboptimal team uh, to the playoffs. I mean, there was no chance. Uh, the Broncos didn't have any chance. Third string guy, boom, he's there. Well, I love how you start this off. I recall seeing a political cartoon that contrasted the way the media treated Tim Tebow versus how it treated Jason Collins, the first openly homosexual NBA player. It depicts Tebow saying, I'm a Christian. And the reporter turns his back on him and walks away muttering, keep it to yourself. Next to that picture, Collins is depicted saying, "I'm gay," and the reporter lifts his microphones toward him, microphone towards him, and exclaims, "Tell me more, you big hero!"
0: <laughs>
2: I love that. I love that. Tell me, tell yeah. me. Uh, t- this article is a little bit controversial, folks. If you get a chance to read it, um, you you really need to make time to read it. It's it's not a long article. It's I think one of your shorter articles, to be quite honest with you. Um, yeah, but I it is in the imaginative <laughs> conservative the imaginative conserve that's where you can find this um, well footnoted tell me when you, when you saw that uh cartoon what what occurred to you what what popped into your head
0: um i, I could be honest actually the, when i first saw it i just said you know thank god for art <laughs> just, they were just oh amen art is able, thank right, god for art art is able to, art is able to excel express realities that um otherwise uh words and arguments just get frustrated with and uh that comic strip just nailed it for me i i i said there it is hang on a second hang on
2: a second dr Charlie. hang on a second say that one more time about art i love that i'm gonna write that
0: down you like <laughs> art communicates truths that that mere words and arguments just get frustrated with. We, we art just,
2: communicates truths that mere words get frustrated with, yeah, and arguments get frustrated, get frustrated with. with. Wow! Yeah. So, so much, art so is much, important.
0: It's huge. Yep, that's that's why I wrote the book on truth, goodness, and beauty. Yeah, it's huge. And mm. if you think it through, that's why. I think largely because art changed uh, in the 19th, 20th century, went radically secular. You know, why do you think so many of our kids are secular today? Because of the, the images that they see that, uh, that awakens their imagination towards more secular vision of life. So yeah, this, I, I couldn't help it. I'd love to start off that article with, um, with uh, this comic that just juxtaposes the, just two fundamentally different orientations uh, hmm. Towards uh, Tim Tebow on the on the one hand, and of course our our openly uh, gay basketball player on the other. And uh, so when I saw that uh, when I saw that uh, uh, cartoon, I just said, Ah, oh, this is this is why I love art. It's able it's able to capture things just in just in one picture, or one or two frames, what have you. That uh, it took me seven or eight hundred words to try to communicate.
2: Hmm. Well, I love art. I think, uh, I, I agree a hundred percent with you. If you paint or draw what God tells you to paint, you photograph what God tells you to photograph. Um, if you write what God tells you to write, you will change lives. You will change minds. You will, I mean, it's just a powerful thing. So that was your first paragraph folks. The first paragraph of this great article. Um, and, and this, this is a different sort of article. Um, I've read, virtually everything that I know of that you've written. And this one stuck out to me. Now you, you, you then hit your next paragraph. You're never one to shy away from, uh, the the third rail. Have you noticed a difference in the way the media covers liberals versus conservatives? Now, I just want to say this to folks listening all across the, I guess, all across the world. we get people listening all over. By the way, our Sunday, I just finished a series. I think I'm finished. I don't know. Uh, our Sunday thing, you go to the theninjapastor.com, go over to listen, upper left on the bar there at the top, and commercial free. Um, we just did uh, the, the next or last, I don't know if it'll be last or not, in a series of things on sevens. I want you to listen to that because you know what? It, we're fighting the media, you know, you ever, you ever, if you've ever played sports and there's a, there's a referee, uh, the referee, if, if they're crooked, it's going to make your game very, very difficult, extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. If you've got to yeah. play also against the referee. So you've got to win what I always said when I was playing. And when I'm, when I coached, uh, listen, you've got to play so good that you're undeniable. You, you've mm-hmm. got to play so well. You've got to make such an impact. Uh, you, you don't leave it up to the judges or the referees, just like in MMA and, and, uh, you know, boxing, don't leave it to the judges, get a knockout, get a submission. Don't leave it to the judges. Cause you never know once you put it in their hands, how it's going to be. Well, that to me is how it is with the media. We all lament the media. Oh, well, if this was so-and-so, then we would have never, you'd never see this or you never like, uh, for instance, for instance, how about these floods? How about these floods? You've got these Louisiana floods. Well, when when, uh, George Bush, 43, was president, oh, my goodness, he's a racist. He's not helping these people, even though the crooked, talked about this last week, the crooked black leader of New Orleans uh, let his people people drown, let his people die, Mm -hmm. you know, in in open defiance. And now this guy's in jail because he was so crooked. (laughs) But the media does treat liberals different than conservatives. Why is that? Why do you think that is?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's exactly what I what I explore in the article. Um, and as a side note, too, just as we we flesh it out together, um, I one thing I always found myself doing that I'm I'm not doing anymore, but I hear conservatives doing all the time, is that they say something like, you know, the media should just report the facts and that's it. You know, stop putting your own spin on things. Just give me the facts, what happened, huh. and I'll make up my own mind. And uh, for me, the irony is that that is precisely uh, this conception of the world uh, as comprised of mere facts that actually gave birth to a liberal conception of the news in hmm. the first place. So it's, it, it's so for me, writing this article was also something kind of fine-tuning the way I understand the news and the media uh, and the like, and uh, and also really um, appreciating. Alternative media, the the eclectic um, cultural elements of uh, alternative media. Um, I think the big thing is that uh, one of the where I start with the article is that in many respects, what you're doing, what uh, larger talk radio world is doing, is sort of a renaissance of 19th century journalism. Uh, scholars locate the beginning of modern journalism with the Jacksonian era, where we see the rise of the mass press. And we find there that papers and magazines were totally unapologetic advocates for specific political parties and positions. One scholar points out that papers often spoke in the first person plural, we. (laughs) So we support such and such. So it's, when they're talking about policies, they included the readers in support of these political positions and opposition to their political opponents. And so, like with talk radio, that was just considered thoroughly normal. It was, it was, it was received as an extension of the political debates going on among politicians and candidates. But things change. Things change in the early 20th century. I uh, cite uh, the media historian Richard Kaplan who points out that uh, it, it started to get viewed, particularly among the universities, uh, the journalist schools, that an objective press, a press that was completely uncompromised by any political bias, was, uh, was necessary uh, for an informed public square. Mm -hmm. Um, Right, So journalists should not be under any influence uh, and coercion of corrupt politicians, which of course, amen to that. And so what journalists ended up doing is they looked for a methodology that accounted for a nonpartisan, objective, disinterested integrity in the reporting. And uh, what happened among the media was the same thing that was happening to the nation as a whole in the early 20th century journalists began turning toward a more secularized conception of their craft they found that the commitments comprising secularism these two main commitments that i explore in the article would give them an air of objectivity
2: hmm. so we're de godding things i i don't know if you know uh and i think to me this is interesting um there is there is actually talk right now of uh, we're going to talk about this later in the show with Dave Perkins. I, I don't want to jump the shark here, but um, but I think it's important. There's talk now that, hey, maybe we shouldn't have people stand for the National Anthem. You know what? Maybe we shouldn't have the National Anthem. We're, we're so, um, I don't know, we're such a diverse society now. Maybe we shouldn't have the National Anthem.
0: Oh yeah. oh yeah, maybe we
2: sure. shouldn't. Uh, may you know that way we don't have to have this guy not stand. You know, it's kind of embarrassing for him, embarrassing for other people. So we don't want to, we don't want to be that kind of society. Um, so maybe what we'll do is we'll just stop doing that. Well, <laughs> okay. it's that's egregious. Um. It it makes me mad. It makes me mad that that would ever, anything like that would ever see the light of day. Anybody, I I would, I would want people to be, um, I would want people to be embarrassed to ever say that, to ever, to ever bring that up. Mm -hmm. But they're not. People aren't embarrassed of that, and so they bring it up and they say, "Well, maybe this is something we should do," and and that's extraordinarily exasperating for me. So the secularization of journalism, not that we would ever depend on journalists, air quotes, journalists, uh, mm-hmm. to, to teach the truth or to speak the truth. Um, journalists, to ever think, to ever, ever think that the left wing megaphone called mass media would ever be impartial is ridiculous. But Steve, I've got to ask you, why in the world do we delude ourselves to think that they are a lot of times they'll do something and we'll say uh, an example. Here's an example just popped into my head. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we put them in charge of most of the debates, right? (laughs) Right. We turn, we turn, we turn our, our, uh, we, we, we turn the information, that we want to get from these debates, we turn it over to people who hate, hate the Republican candidates, or hate them, right. despise them. Right. We turn it over to them. We say, "Well, yeah, they'll be they'll be unbiased." Yet every single time, every single time,
1: <laughs> uh,
2: every single time, it's it's just exasperating. Every single time, we find. Um, that they're not impartial, that they, right. they're they not unbiased. They're not uh, being fair or right. Um, right. You yeah. know, it, it's just, it's exasperating. Yeah,
0: it's it exasperating. is. exasperating.
2: How do we is. shut that it down?
0: Is. Yeah, it is. Um, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. wait. Let mean, me use a different word.
2: Let me use a different word. Yeah. How do we nullify them? Yeah,
0: How do we nullify them? There you go. Well, I do think there is some good news in 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 that arena, um, and that is, that comes from post secular studies. Uh, post secular studies are um, are a discipline that's uh, in the universities today that that recognizes that secularism is beginning to wane itself out. It's self defeating, <laughs> you know. Secularism can't be sustained. Um, secularism says it is objective and it gives you only facts. And, of course, you don't even need to be, uh, you don't even need to be a Christian to figure this out. All you have to do is ask you know, people like uh, in Black Lives Matter, and they'll run out and say, well, who's facts? You know, who's objectivity? I mean, even the most skeptical leftists are beginning to really reject uh, this notion of secular objectivity. And then they turn around and then they say all values are person relative. You get to make up your own values. You know, however, Whatever turns you on, that can be your value system. Well, wait a minute, but then we value that. <laughs> that, that becomes our new absolutist value system. We tell everybody that values are relative, and the only way that maintains itself is if we absolutize it. So it's, it's, a, it, it's an intellectually, morally incoherent Beliefs is, and that's just the beginning. I mean, it, keeps, it gets worse from there. So, and it doesn't run things too well either. You know? So I think there's some really good news uh, in that. The alternative media and the rise of the alternative media is, is uh, I think, that's key. Let me just switch uh, phones here. Sorry, I have one phone that's running out of batteries. There we go. Uh, that's key. Um, the alternative media is, recognizes that there just simply is no way to do journalism, apart from some larger worldview and a larger shared life world. There's just simply no such thing as culturally unbiased news reporting. And that and that recognition is a good thing because it's really calling the bluff of a value-neutral objective reporter completely free of personal biases and preconceptions. That's being seen more and more as a myth. Sean, have you seen the... Um, some of the studies had just been coming out. and the, uh, I think the most recent one was the Media Insight Project. It was a poll. Or it was more actually a study that showed that only 6% of Americans have confidence in the media. And that's stunning if you think. I, <laughs> Congress has more support than that. <laughs> mm-hmm. this, um This creates some really interesting conditions for resurgence of community-based or culture-based news reporting and journalism, uh, something that operates thoroughly and unapologetically within shared values and perspectives of a particular shared life world or culture. More and more people are seeing CNN as no different than Al Jazeera in that both are reporting events from within their own worldview and life world commitments. And the more people that recognize that, I think it encourages the formation of something very much what we're seeing in the alternative media world, which is slowly with Drudge Report and Breitbart. I mean, they're slowly becoming um, almost mainstream. Uh, more people are going to Drudge than go to CNN and I think MSB, MSNBC and, uh, you know, all of these combined Um it's fascinating, because I guess it's, it's instantaneous, it's quick, but there's also a sense that this reporter shares my values. So Drudge being more mm-hmm. libertarian, uh, we go to him, uh, a lot of Christians are going to the ChristianPost.com because it shares their values and gives them wonderful uh, – they, they, they choose and they select uh, stories, facts, and so forth from a Christian worldview – where such stories and facts make sense. So, mm-hmm. so we're not we're not inundated with. Remember, if, if you recall, when uh, during the Sochi Olympics uh, in Russia, uh, the 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 media was absolutely uh, transfixed with the first openly gay athlete to win a medal, and uh, and who's going to be the first openly gay athlete to meet with uh, Vladimir Putin, and on and on. And they were all doing that because of Russia's. Um, laws against homosexual propaganda. Now, nobody cared about that, but the media did. That's the stuff they selected precisely because of their world and life view. So, I think more and more more and more people are recognizing that uh, news reporting is inextricably linked to some kind of values perspective, and um, and then people are going to be. Uh, they're going to be attracted and drawn uh, to people like yourself and others who share their values and who are able – and who are talented to be able to articulate and speak it in such a way on a weekly basis. Um, I think that's why they were attracted to these guys in the first place when secularism really had a hegemony on things. But that's – post-secular scholars argue that's gone. That's that's really beginning to, to fade.
2: Hmm. So, so so what happens, you, I look at, uh, there's, there's a notion in some, for some people who they think that social media in general is a news source, Facebook, Mm
0: -hmm, uh, mm
2: -hmm, a lot mm -hmm. more people now get their news from Mm -hmm. their Facebook, from their news. Yep,
1: Yep.
2: So I have people ask me all the time, "How do I know what to believe? How right, do I know what to believe? Right. How do I know what's real? How do I know what's true?" Right. So what do you think? How, how, what do I tell them?
0: Yeah. Well, you, you know, for, <laughs> first and foremost, I mean, um, this is a question we're asking because of the failure of secularism. So so 40 years ago, people would not be asking that question. They knew math and science were absolutely certain, right? That's what our, that's what our SATs are based on and all that. And that's what I push in the article. I basically say, look, journalists turn towards secular frames of reference. They adopted the scientific rationalism as their key methodology for reporting. And so now they were objective and and impartial disseminators of information, but that entails within it, and this is why it makes me nervous when conservatives say, just give me the facts, just give me the facts. Well, wait a minute. If all we're going to do is limit knowledge to scientifically verified facts, then what happens to values? Well, Mm -hmm. values get amputated from knowledge. So in other words, scientific facts are considered objective precisely because they transcend the biases and prejudices innate to cultural values and norms. And so what emerges from this pre-commitment to scientific rationalism is what we call fact-value dichotomy. Facts are objective, while values are subjective. Facts apply to all, while values apply to only some. And so that's why you see the media committing itself to relativistic lifestyle values, and as a matter of fact, you can't get onto a onto a newspaper or a, a TV or radio report or website that doesn't have a lifestyles feature. You know, I pointed out in the article, <laughs> you can learn about everything from the sex habits of entertainers to horoscopes. You know, you name it. Um, so, so this is what's created this. This, uh, this liberalism in, in the media. Um, uh, if if uh, by definition secularism, committing yourself to secularism, uh, commit, you, makes you commit to rationalism on the one hand and values liberalism on the other, well then by definition there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who are committed to secularism, those are not. And if you are committed to secularism, then by definition you are rational and you are liberal. And if you are opposed to secularism, then by definition you are irrational and you are repressive. And that's exactly how we see the media deal with conservatives. Uh, There is an assumption of ignorance and irrationality. The good news is that's beginning to break down, but that is also causing people to rethink what on earth, how do I know, what can possibly be certain? Well, I'd submit to you when you're thinking through, you know, what is knowledge. There are uh, classically three tests for truth. There's logical consistency. Uh, we all look for it. If you argue with me, you've proved the point, right? That's what I always love, love to tell my students. <laughs> you want me to, you're looking for some kind, you know, some kind of law of non-contradiction in there. There's empirical adequacy. There has to be some evidence of what you're talking about. It can't just all be you know, uh, invisible, eternal thing. There must be something tangible and empirical. And there has to be some kind of experiential relevance. These are three very um, common tests for truth that you see for, for the history of philosophy all through the Christian era and so forth. And Now, every worldview, including secularism, puts forward their worldview. And when they get scrutinized with those tests for truth, Uh, A lot of them can do well, but they'll fall short. They'll break down somewhere here or there. And the Christian claim, the Christian claim, it's a very bold one, is that when you put Christianity and its claims up against the test for truth, it passes, and it passes beautifully. And not only is it true, not only is it uh, evidential, You know, the resurrection of Christ happened in time and space and history, and you can't explain the rise of the church without it. But it's radically meaningful. The experiential relevance is beyond anything we could ever imagine. So, Mm, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so if people are, you know, they're like, "My, you know, I'm just, I can't get around this," and everywhere I turn, they're saying this guy's wrong and that guy's wrong and blah. I hear you. Yeah, it's a little bit noisy out there right now. No, we're going, I think, through a paradigm shift. Uh, but the good news is, uh, in Christianity, we believe everyone's creating the image of God, and by definition, therefore, we image forth. These three tests for truth: we're all looking for logical consistency. We're all looking for some Mm -hmm. kind of empirical adequacy. We're all looking for some kind of experiential relevance. Put those tests of truth to any worldview; you'll find at some point they fall short. Put them towards Christianity, and you see Christianity shines through.
2: Awesome! Hey, you know, um, I was watching the Olympics. uh, I guess several hundred million other people around the world and. I was watching this one uh, women's race. It's a, it's a women's race uh, track and field. And I see this person from South Africa, clearly and obviously a man. Right. Right. Absolutely. Clearly. And obviously a man um, so much bigger than everybody else. Uh, It it looked exactly like a man built exactly like a man uh, moved like a man, the whole bit. Well, so I decided to do some research. I'm I'm hearing the the um commentators, all liberal of course, trying to dance around this controversy of this this person has been tested genetically and has tested as a man. Uh, I know where you're so, going. No. That's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a I'm a woman. I'm a woman. Right. And I shouldn't have right. to be asked. Uh, all of her competitors, I thought it was just a couple, but I find out later that it's all of her competitors and I'm doing air quotes under her, um, all of her competitors in the, in these races lodge complaints. They say, you know, look, you you can't allow somebody that is clearly and obviously a man to run a women's race. It's not right. And it's unfair to us. Well, the, the, the person, I'll just say person, the person won uh, easily i right. mean it was it was just it was brutal to watch right. <laughs> right and you saw the faces uh of the women the actual real women who were yeah. in the race and you know they didn't want to be interviewed they didn't want to be sure. they didn't want to say the wrong thing they didn't want to somehow or another bring shame to themselves or their country uh and it's and it's just it's it's just amazing how this how this works because the the commentators were killing themselves (laughs) to try to dance around the fact that this is a dude they were heralding air quotes her as a hero right right what do you make of that what are your thoughts on that
0: yeah yeah well i actually i used another one at the end of the uh article, you know, why is it that when Ryan Lochte self-identifies as a crime victim, we call him a liar, but Bruce Jenner self-identifies a woman and the media hails him as a hero. Wait a minute now. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah it, it, it's, it's just part of the, it's part of the incoherence. The, um, mm-hmm. the, we have, um, we have science makes it, or I'm sorry, secularism makes a clear distinction between fact and faith right? Knowledge and belief. That's what it does. It doesn't work, but nevertheless, that's what it does. Uh, and again, it's for, for the listeners. It's very important to understand. So a fact is something that is mathematically and scientifically verified. That's the way they would look at it. And a belief is something that's personal opinion or self-identity or something akin to that. The problem with the statement uh, that we're going to base our society on, the fact that value dichotomy or fact-faith dichotomy, it's not itself a factual statement. It's not empirical. It's not mathematical. And it's a statement of faith. It's a statement of belief. But we're not allowed to bring statements of faith and belief into the public square, except when it's secularism. So it's, mm-hmm. it is an incoherent uh, belief system, morally, intellectually, and of course, we started off with art aesthetically. Look at the the, the horrendous stuff it passes off for art, you know, a urinal and an mm-hmm. art exhibit and the like. So I think that's, that's key. If you have an incoherent system, well then, now, how do you apply it in the realm of sports? I mean, here, like you said, here you have somebody who has, you know, just as much testosterone as any of the, the guys who are on that track and field but this, this person self-identifies as a woman. Then what do they do? Well, they test her biologically, right, genetically. The mm-hmm. tests are inconclusive. Well, all you have to do is ask the question, why on earth are you testing her? Or if that's what the way she self-identifies and if that's what gender is, who are you to even, you know, who are you to test her bona fides any more than you're to test somebody who goes into a Target bathroom's bona fides, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, or you have to go the other way and say, oh, but the tests were inconclusive, and therefore, as I heard it, and therefore to pre- to prevent her from racing would be uh, discriminatory. But why do the tests matter? Mm-hmm. You can't go, so you go back and forth on the one hand, um, it's uh, it's the identity that matters. We say, I mean, it gets pushed with Hillary Clinton and Comey. You know, she didn't mm-hmm. intend <laughs> to lie. She didn't intend to do anything bad with the emails. Therefore, it's okay. She didn't self-identify as being dishonest. So therefore, mm-hmm. it's okay. So mm-hmm. so we're we're pushing it in these directions that are comfortable and that are accommodating to a thoroughly secular liberal conception of life try doing those same exceptions in a christian conception life. we wouldn't be doing it in the first place but try doing that and have a pastor get up and say you know when i lied to my congregation i really didn't mean it or i didn't intend it they'll call him a hypocrite all day long so i think you're right i think i think the uh analogy you gave with the uh with the corrupt referees, uh, just, that fits. Uh, the game is already rigged. Uh, <laughs> we are irrational and repressive by definition. They are rational and liberal by definition. And so, inevitably, what you do, you see, is you see uh, an advocacy. I think, I think there really is just this innate fidelity or loyalty uh, to those who belong to your same world and life view, and that's what I think you're seeing in the media.
2: Hmm. Awesome. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I really, really do appreciate it. It's um, it's an honor to have you, and and uh, I'm excited about your articles. I love the frequency that you do them, and and I hope you'll give us the chance to uh, share those articles with uh, my audience. And uh, I think that would be I think that would be awesome if we could do that. And um, uh, thank you for for taking the time to to write them, because obviously your your articles uh, are different than, than most other articles um, that I read out there. Number one, they're well footnoted. And number two, I think, I think quite frankly, uh, they're just better. They're, they're, they're written better. They're more interesting. Um, I, I have a good time reading them. Truth oh, be told. Thanks I, so much, I really Lord. enjoy them. So I appreciate it. And Turley Talks dot.com, TurleyTalks.com, Imaginative Conservative, the Imaginative Conservative. You go to the bookstore, you can buy a Dr. Turley's book, and I'm telling you right now, it is a fascinating book. I read it. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of a voracious reader of stuff that I like, and uh, so I, whenever you write something, I really enjoy it, and I think our audience our audience would really enjoy the kind of writing that you do. So thank you very much for taking the time to do it. I know you got a million things going on with being an educator and uh, teaching people, teaching young people how to think. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. So thank you very much, Dr. Turley, for coming on. We look forward to uh, look forward to talking to again soon. Keep on a writing.
0: Oh, thanks so much, Sean. And you keep up the great work. God bless you, brother.
2: Thank you, brother. Take care. Well, there you have it, folks. Smart guy, uh, great educator. Uh, wrote a phenomenal book and, and uh, just everything he writes is just really, really amazing. And the way that he teaches now I've seen, I know kids that, that he teaches and, and adults that he teaches is, is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, It's a different way of thinking. So um, anyway, so all that said to say this, look, here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You can read junk if you want. You can. You can read junk if you want. Look, you can you can read People Magazine or whatever it is. Any of the others. They're all junk. They are. I'm, I'm sorry. The stuff you read's not gonna be not gonna be not gonna be worth reading. Um, and and so you can do that if you want. You can say, well, I don't have time. Like people tell us about Center for Self Governance. Well, I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm busy. But then you watch the shows that they you, you look at the list of shows that they watch. You you look at what they do read and you think to yourself, man, you know, how do you not have time? You you're doing nothing but wasting your time here. You're, just, you're wasting your brain cells. Well, I can tell you somebody's coming up here on the show that uh, just a couple of minutes here. Um, Dave Perkins, he's a good friend of mine. Um, he's, he's a man who I I am proud to call him friend. Uh, He's a world traveler, extremely intelligent guy, a guy I've been, I'm telling you, I've been begging this guy to write a book for, I don't know how long for real. Um, I want him go to, go to his Facebook and uh, go to his Facebook and, and, and tell him, look, Ninja pastor says you, you ought to write a book. Let's pressure this guy. Let's, 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 uh, what do they call it? Shame him. <laughs> Let's shame him into writing a book because he is, he is extraordinary. He's a great thinker. So one of the things that he wrote um, this past week uh, in circulating social media, I mean, Dave Perkins is a, he's a big time radio guy, a very, very successful uh, world traveler. When I say world traveler, I mean he has been all over the world many times, it's been to Israel many times. He's, he's just a, he's just a cool guy. And, and there's, there's a, when he talks, you know, that, that old commercial EF Hutton, when EF Hutton talks, um, you know, people listen. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's Dave. You want to know what the deal is? That's Dave. So here's what he wrote. Please remember Colin Kaepernick's actual claim to offense is that there are bodies in the streets and people getting paid leave. This is not a general rap on America, but a complaint about police killing black people with impunity. If you were to ask him for cases, he would probably get every single one wrong. Michael Brown never put his hands up, just earnestly and vigorously tried to kill Officer Darren Wilson more than once. When Eric Garner famously said, I can't breathe, the officers were not on his chest and didn't have him around the neck. He couldn't breathe because of his heart. That's a symptom of a heart attack, which he probably wouldn't have suffered if he had not resisted arrest with such vigor. The officers in Baltimore are all free, having been found innocent of trying to harm the guy in the back of the van. Well, he harmed himself after trying to a flee arrest, by the way. Trayvon was not killed by a police officer at all, just a little dweeb with a gun in his pocket who didn't take it out until he thought he was going to die from the beating he was getting from Trayvon Martin. When the cops rolled up on that guy selling CDs outside the store after getting a complaint about attempted armed robbery by him, he had a gun. They arrested him. He fought and tried to get the gun out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I remember one policeman back shooting a running unarmed black man on the East Coast, one of the Carolinas, South Carolina, I think it was, and that policeman is in prison right now for murder not paid leave. And in that case, the unarmed black man had wrestled the police officer and tried to get his gun, then run away. Now the cop shouldn't have shot him, but it wasn't like a random shooting. It was, it was an ongoing conflict in which the other guy had tried to put the cop's life in danger. Shooting in the back was wrong. It was not, however, random like Colin Kaepernick wants us to believe. Colin Kaepernick has taken up with the lovely DJ lady, Nessa, She is all this Muslim friendly, Muslim friendly, BLM supporter and all. And CK seems to have decided to become something she will admire. But he looks ungrateful and ignorant and it will haunt him for a long time. Folks, I want you to welcome to the Collision of Faith and Politics a great, great man and one of my dear friends, Mr. Dave Perkins. Dave, welcome. Dr. Sean, how are you, brother? Good to talk to you. I am, I I have to admit, I have to confess, I'm doing well. I have to confess that I did initiate a conspiracy against you. I think for you. Okay. In in this (laughs) case, I, I have, I have initiated a, uh, shaming program, if you will, to, for everyone listening to the show to go to your Facebook, to go to your website, go to your radio show and shame you into writing a book. I have tried asking nicely, (laughs) but now we've got to shame you into it. Now I know why. I didn't understand why
3: suddenly everyone was telling me it's time to write a book. Now I get it. It's your fault.
2: (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome, America. (laughs) So how in the world are you? Tell us first about your world travels. You've, you've just returned from multiple trips. Tell us what you're up to.
3: Oh, let's see. My latest uh, is a project, and I won't uh, tell you too much about it offhand because I haven't consulted with the guy who's uh, actually spearheading it, but it's a wonderful thing. It's going to be called the Bethlehem Project. It's about time someone went to Palestinians who did not want to kill Israelis and cause strife, but rather who simply want to have a life and hope and possibilities like everyone else and try and figure out a way to give them those things and I don't mean give like here's your hope here's your life I mean give them a direction to go and education they can use and and opportunities they can seize to to get somewhere we know some Palestinians you and I know some I think indirectly and I with some other friends know some personally we visited them in Bethlehem and the West mm-hmm. Bank several times and the problem over there is not is not uh, Israel. The problem is gangster government owning and taking everything and a complete lack of opportunity, a lack of future for ordinary people in Palestinian territories. It's about time somebody humbly and earnestly went in and tried to start something that would change that. And I'm happy to say I'm a donor and I'm involved as far as my friend will let me be involved in the Bethlehem project. And I'll tell you more about that as time comes by.
2: Well, awesome. Awesome. Tell us about your other travels. Where all have you been here over the past several months?
3: Oh, heavens. Uh, (laughs) Middle East. uh, We were about to go to Europe. A friend of mine and I were about to go to Europe, and suddenly he and I are both too busy. I think that may be the good Lord giving us a little... A little itch to scratch to say maybe you don't want to be in Paris or or places like Brussels right about now. <laughs> it was on our yeah. on our list and we've we've postponed it. But the Middle East is where we go. And uh, here I was, you know, five years ago, never been there, wanted to go, couldn't imagine going, and now it's been uh, four times and counting. And I've been to Egypt and Jordan and got to know some some Christian Arabs and some Christian Jews and all kinds of fascinating people. It's it's a whole new world for me, life after 50. I, I almost feel like I'm not even the same guy. It's wonderful.
2: I hear you. Hey, I, I know that you uh, you spent some time living in Brussels. I think Brussels, right? And, uh,
3: I did. About 15 years ago. I lived there for uh, four years. I lived in Western Europe in Brussels.
2: How do you think it's changed? What would you say is uh, is the change?
3: Well, people don't remember because people have short memories, but I was there when the cars were burning in Paris and I promise you they were burning in Brussels too. The uh, the Belgians are shocked to discover Islamic terrorists in their midst, even though they've been importing them there in the name of socialism for fifteen or twenty years. There's a downtown district that is nothing but Moroccan flags hung out on the balconies of the apartment buildings, and there are downtown places that tourists go that you just do not go when the sun goes down and that is, that is current from 15 years ago. So if I can just say it, Brussels is much worse than it's ever been. It's
2: a shame. It almost seems as though uh, Europe is on fire, but everyone's running around with gas, trying to pour gas on the fire to try to put it out. And they say, no, 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 this isn't gasoline. This is water. You're, you're wrong. This is water. Uh, It smells like gas. It burns like gas. Um, we don't want to call it we don't want to call it that
3: i don't understand political leftism apart from my overtly religious view which is that there's some evil at work there because none of it otherwise none of it makes any sense to me any intellectual sense the efforts that they go to and the complaints that they make and the plans that they have and they're trying to to complete the plans for importing the agents of their destruction and they can't wait. And they're so excited to be importing agents of their own destruction. And I cannot understand that outside of my religious view, because there isn't any secular way to understand it. It's evil. It's darkness.
2: Yeah, well, I was going to ask you, actually, it's interesting that you brought that up. I was going to ask you, why do you think Europe has embraced uh, Islam so aggressively? And Angela Merkel, what, what is the deal with this woman? I mean, people are raping. They're having a
3: contest over there. It's a contest over there between leaders as to who can seem the most charitable and generous. And at the same time, in seeming that way, also solve the intrinsic problems of socialism, which is running out of money. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to import a workforce like the Germans did in the 1970s with Turks. And now the Turks are the hotbed of Islamism in Germany. Also Pakistanis in Great Britain. The Pakistanis are the hotbed of Islamism in Britain. Everywhere you see a European country that has imported a labor force to replace the labor force they had, That got old, and let's face it, in socialism, if you're 45, you're old enough that you don't have to work anymore. There's always going to be some set of programs you can be on. They're all proud of their post-war socialism over there, but, Sean, it didn't last more than one or two generations before it went broke. And ever since then, they've been scrambling to replace a workforce, and the workforce they have chosen now is – Um, Islamic countries' workforce, one or another. And they're trying to pretend that nothing is wrong and the Muslims will be grateful to be included in the European dream and become Europeans and be called Europeans. And they're looking the other way when the Muslims proudly laugh and pat each other on the back and say, we're going to take over. We're going to destroy Europe. We're going to turn it into a pan- muslim nation the europeans are still trying to save socialism sean they've been trying to do it for 40 years and it was never going to work it lasted one generation and went broke and this is the fool's game they're playing of trying to import a workforce to preserve socialism by putting money into it so they the europeans can withdraw that money in the name of socialism
2: what what amazes me is they claim to be so well read yet even the um, even the lightest reading, even the lightest reading will show you uh, lightest reading of history that look this is this is what's happened over history this is this is what's come after us in, in all of our history we look we look at uh, Islam and we say no they don't have good intent for us. And they do bad things once they receive the majority.
3: I found a book written in French back when I was wandering around Parisian bookstores on my spare time while my wife was doing business meetings in Paris. A book was called Les Fonctionnaires." It's from the 1970s, and the translation is The Bureaucrat's the government functionaries. And one of the things I learned in that book, written in 1977, is that one out of three employees, one out of three full-time jobs in France, was a government job. In other words, the other two full-time workers had to not only pay all their share of all the socialism money, but they also had to pay the salaries of the third worker out of three, because that guy drew on the tax base for money. He wasn't a productive private sector employee. And this is 40 years ago, Sean. So what do you think it's like now in a place like France that's so proud of its socialism, but it's been broke for 40 years? They ignored the fact that they're broken. They continue tilting the scale, hoping to be able to import a workforce to tilt it back to the proper side again. I bet now two out of three workers in France are government workers, and it's on the one out of three to pay all the bills.
2: Mm. One of our great listeners, and we're proud to have them, Lion021, also in chat, um, posted this verse, and and I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Uh, what great timing uh, the verse reads this way and they are dark in their intellects and are aliens, to the life of God, because there is no knowledge in them and because of the blindness of their heart. That's Ephesians four eighteen. 18. You were saying that, you know, it's, it's there, there there's evil and there's darkness in them. And, you know, we have plenty of scripture to point to that, but it's interesting to me. It, it really is interesting to me to see how, it's almost like they they're running and we're doing this here in the United States. I, I'm not saying this from any, uh, any platform of superiority. We're doing the same thing. Uh, and you'd think we'd know better too, but Europe has plenty of, of, of uh, centuries of, of history to tell us, look, this, is, this doesn't work. This is bad stuff. You're, you're going the wrong direction. Turn around. They and then always be-
3: believe there's a, there's, There's an arrogance to socialism because socialism is social engineering. It implies the the quality, the skill, the education, the knowledge of the engineer to do the social engineering. The implication with socialism is it's a better way because... The people who engineer it are smarter, and so they always right. tell themselves, no matter, no matter how bad it goes, they can always tell themselves, well, Stalin, really, you know, he was raised by an alcoholic who beat him, and Stalin wasn't all that smart, he was just tough, and what we really needed for the Soviet Union to work were the kind of engineers of society that we have in this generation. We are the smartest, we are the best, we're the most wonderful generation that has ever come upon the face of the earth, and when we do socialism, it's going right. to be. Right and true and good. It's arrogance. It's it's arrogance of their place in history, and it's uh, arrogant presumption that they are intellectually up to the task of doing something that nobody else has ever managed to even come close to doing.
2: And that's something. 2 Corinthians three fourteen. But their minds were closed. For to this day the same veil remains at the reading of the old covenant it has not been lifted, because only in Christ can it be removed. Their minds are most assuredly Amen. closed. And they dive deeper into uh, the pit of socialism. Uh, Well, that's all about de-godding the world. Our previous guest, Dr. Stephen Turley, uh, talked about that, secularizing facts, secularizing everything so that— It was fun
3: on, and I was listening, and I want to tell you my my thought when the doctor was talking about that was this is about the leftist agenda if you want consistency you don't have consistency for example in the case of a Bruce Jenner versus um gays let's just say okay if you're gay you're born that way there's nothing you can do to change it it's scientific you must get used to it everyone has to accept you because you're gay and you can't change but if you're born a man and you want to be a woman it's all about how you feel it has nothing to do with the chromosomes or any of the other um, numerous scientific evidences that you are in fact male and were not born female it's all about how you feel so for the one guy it can't change for the other guy it can change just based on how he feels from one day to the next you know that inconsistent unless you realize that male roles male archetypes are part of the judeo-christian western tradition that has to be dispensed with so is Mm -hmm. heterosexual business and family units those both are things that have to be destroyed by the left because they're on the left-wing agenda which is to get rid of judeo-christian western tradition so it doesn't matter that those two agenda items require completely opposite and inconsistent reasoning to get them to triumph. What matters is that they triumph. And every leftist knows this and none of them give a hoot about being held to intellectual consistency. All they want is victory. And that too, Mm -hmm. I think, is a little bit bit on the evil side, that the Judeo-Christian Western tradition is really the target, and that that is where you find the consistency in the application of leftism is no matter what they have to do to ding the Judeo-Christian Western tradition, no matter how inconsistent, no matter how nutty, no matter how insane, they will do it, because that is the
2: target, and it must be be dealt with you um you, you know it's it's funny i have really uh, smart listeners on this show and steve from ohio says working together for the greater good is never greater and rarely good in the venue of socialism and boy isn't that true and and we celebrate <laughs> today i don't know if you uh if you've celebrated appropriately today it sounds to me because you haven't brought it up yet uh you know we we have normalized relations and the first commercial flight has landed in cuba today today's a big right. day so
3: cuba libra only it isn't it's not libra it's not free but everyone's talking like it is. this is another classic example of leftism at work they don't try to change the horrible situation for the actual betterment of the people there they just talk about it differently and abracadabra right. it's magic it's fixed right no problem it's fixed because we say things Differently than we used to say them, because those people who used to talk about Cuba are using old, archaic, patriarchal, dated, antiquated, stereotypical language, and we're smarter than that now.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what do you make of these? Uh, I don't. I don't want to call them celebrities, but we'll just say celebrities. What do you make of these celebrities trotting about in their Che, their Che Guevara uh, shirts and their. What do you you make
3: of that? They don't know who they're offending. They don't know who they're hurting. They don't know anything. And if they did know, you would then be able to tell which of our celebrities are just in leftism for showbiz and which of them are committed to it. I think 99% of celebrities would be actually horrified if they understood clearly and without blindfolds if they understood what it was they act like they support, but they do it for the sake of their careers and for the sake of their friends and because of the bubble that they live in. The real supporters of Jay don't walk around wearing t-shirts and carrying Jay purses because they don't want people to know they support Jay.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
2: Wow. Okay. So now we have this whole thing with, uh, and and you know I, I did some study on on his background, but uh, Colin Kaepernick, um, he he's raised by a, a white family because his his black family rejected him.
3: He's just like I, President Obama. His black father ran away when he was born.
2: Yeah, I just I don't know. It's kind of interesting this similarity. Maybe maybe Colin is going to run for president.
3: Maybe Colin needs to take note in his description of this country as racially so cruel and evil that a guy who looks like him and has exactly the same life as him is president of the United States.
2: Yeah. <laughs> How much yeah. better can it get than that? You know, I have long postulated that, uh, and I and I put this forth at, in one of my previous shows on racism. Um, look, we we and they love to say, well, you can't, you got to quit, you got to quit bringing up that we have uh, black president, black, our second black attorney general and female black attorney general, um, and black mayors and and black governors and black senators and, 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 you know, all this stuff, you've got to stop bringing that up as, as though that somehow or another makes your systematic racism. Okay. But we have a black president. We have, uh, our second black, um, Attorney General, if you want to call her that, I, I don't think she and, and Eric Holder were really serving as Attorney General. Uh, but, but you, um, it, it, it's just it's just downright sick, sickening. Um, what do you make of it? I mean, this look, this guy was raised by a white family, a fairly um, uh, comfortable white family. How does this guy end up sitting on the sidelines talking bad about the United States, making some sort of point that, uh, let me tell you, you about know, Kaepernick's
3: off season. Okay. Before we go any further during the off season, on me. he had three surgeries. He stopped working out. He lost a lot of muscular weight. He slowed down his arm got weaker and the gifts that made him capable of being one, Deflected pass away from the Super Bowl are gone. He is now Mm -hmm. not big, strong, fast, and talented anymore. Now he's got to work his way back to those things. And because of the surgeries, he may never be as good as he was a couple of years ago. And this means he could see the freight train coming. He could see the light at the end of the tunnel, and it was a train coming for him. He knew he was going to be cut, and his prospects were miserable at any other team. He knew his $160,000 a week paycheck during the fall was likely going to disappear with no prospect of recovering anything like it anywhere else. So I think Colin Kaepernick tried to take a political stand for the express purpose of making it harder on the 49ers to cut him, because now they will look like they are cutting him for white, patriarchal, antiquated, heterosexual, anti-black political reasons. This is how he has Jacked the situation to what he thinks is a place that will benefit him. Of course, the San Francisco 49ers live and work in San Francisco. So there's every possibility of any NFL team. They are the one most likely to feel that sort of pressure. But the problem is the NFL still runs on merit and everybody still knows it. And Colin Kaepernick is not getting any support they say in the locker room he's kind of like a man on an island he sits there nobody talks to him he doesn't have any real friends and nobody sticks up for him because they all understand he's about to be gone and furthermore there's nothing intrinsic about him that's wonderful that makes anyone want to rally around him and pick him up and support him and help him win so he did this i think out of an attempt to make himself a political radioactive football so to speak that no one is going to be able to kick out into the parking lot because of blowback but also he's got himself some new friends this dj girl nessa is a fiance of his now he's grown his hair out he's grown his beard all long and rattly and i think he has also taken up this cause to impress her so he has two bad reasons for being what he now claims to be and no good ones because there aren't any good ones
2: you know, he was raised a Christian, and uh, I remember when he was coming up, and uh, all of that. That on different interviews, uh, he would he would thank God, and uh, you know, for his good fortune, and and all of that. And and it seems like over time, uh, his Christian faith has fallen the way of hey, let me impress this girl. Um, Let's
3: face it, that is a risk for any young man, but when there's
2: a lot story. more at stake
3: than just the pretty girl. When the money's at stake and the future's at stake, there's a lot of pressure. That can that can drive considerations of faith well into the back seat, even for someone whose faith is strong and genuine, let alone for someone who maybe sounds and acts faithful because that's the kind of family he was raised in and it's kind of second nature to him but he's never really thought about it to the extent that he's absolutely certain what he believes let's face it a lot of people like him come up sounding like people of faith but when you put the pressure on them the faith blows away in the wind i think that's what's happened to him
2: so the so the uh the uh well, i guess they're they're not they're the LA rams again now but when this happened they were the St. Louis Rams the uh, the guys come out of the tunnel the players football players come out of the tunnel uh with the hands up don't shoot and really defiant and they were hailed as they were hailed as heroes but yeah. it wasn't by true a few not
3: by very many <laughs> most of america knows that didn't happen it's kind of half comical and half irritating but the real problem, yeah. problem for me is the NFL. The NFL is like, let's say Colin Kaepernick is an actor, and let's say as an actor he plays King Lear on stage in a Shakespeare festival, and 10,000 people are in the audience watching him say, blow wind, crack your cheeks, and and play King Lear, right? So now, Mm. suddenly instead of playing King Lear, he sits down on the front of the stage and starts yakking at them about his personal political causes. He has stolen the audience that he did not earn. The people Mm -hmm. who put on the Shakespeare Festival are the people who got that audience there. They sold the tickets, they made it happen, and his job is to say the lines of King Lear. But instead, he's sitting on the front of the stage talking to them about Black Lives Matter and Islam. Now, if you're in the NFL, you gotta think of your stage national television, huge stadiums, hundreds of thousands, millions of people watching. Your stage is not something Colin Kaepernick is entitled to take over and say what he thinks on. He's not earned that stage. The only thing he's entitled to do is get on the field and play football. That is Mm -hmm. the purpose of a football player like King Lear is the acting purpose of an actor. You don't switch back and forth between your commercial purpose and your personal goals while you're playing with somebody else's money and somebody else's business and somebody else's future. The NFL doesn't owe it to anybody to do personal causes. And I think they've made mistakes when they did stuff like put pink ribbons all over the place and tie themselves to breast cancer because they encourage the public to think that the NFL is a place where people can take their political causes and you sort of have to endure it. You don't have to endure it. The NFL is the NFL. You didn't earn the right to speak about your personal causes by becoming a player in the NFL, and the NFL should say, from now on, policy not allowed. Anyone who speaks about any personal political cause, let alone protest by sitting down during the national anthem, is suspended and may be fired.
2: I love it. Well, you know, it, it kind of flies in the face of what the NFL has done. Uh, the different NFL teams, there's there's a lot of military contracts with NFL teams, uh, including... And
3: the Chargers and the 49ers will play this weekend. The Chargers are going to have, on Thursday, they're going to have their annual support the military night, and Kaepernick is going to be over there sitting there dissing the flag while the rest of the 100,000 people in the stadium are going to be cheering and saluting and celebrating members of our military. I think it will be a very awkward, difficult evening for him.
2: You know what's interesting is uh, the San Francisco 49ers, uh, his his actual team, They've they've received a fair amount of money from the military, uh, these different military oh, yeah. contracts. And uh, let's yeah. see here that the Atlanta Falcons one million forty nine thousand five hundred dollars they receive for doing pro military
3: money from you and me going straight to these teams, then then they have to sit and tell you that they respect Kaepernick's right to say what he thinks. I don't respect it at all. I think it's aggressive and overtaking and, and, It borders on theft, to me, for him to steal the audience and use it for his personal political routine. Go out in the street, Colin. Go out in a park and stand up on a box and talk about what you believe. Don't you dare sit down and then demonstrate your personal political positions in the teeth of all this business that somebody else went to all the trouble to build up and bring this giant audience to you. It's not your audience, Colin. You didn't earn it, and you have no right to it. Shut up and play football
2: well, it, you know, and it's funny because, uh, you, you know, I, I, learned a hard lesson and, and I think, um, you might remember when I was asked her, I won't say the name of the blog, but it was a pretty big blog. And I was approached to say, "Hey, you know, we'd like to have you write for us. So I did the classes and did all the different things to learn how to do all this stuff. And, and so I did that and I wrote and, and, and quickly became the number one most read, uh, author there at, at this blog. Um, website or blog. I don't know if you call it a blog. I don't know what to call these things. But anyway, um, so they had this Facebook uh, page, and that's where we were supposed to post uh, the initial posting of our articles was there. Well, I didn't know. What do I know? My first time writing a, a blog for some somebody and first time getting paid to do it. And uh, so I would put a little tagline on there, you know, showing people, well, if you want to read more of what I do, here's where you do it. You click on this link and it takes them to TheNinjaPastor.com and then I would, you know, we're going to talk more about that on today's show or t- tomorrow's show, this article on tomorrow's show and so I'll put a link there. Well, I got in huge trouble. Huge trouble. Because... Yeah,
3: they got upset. They were possessive of their, their internet territory that you were using to send readers and viewers other places that didn't belong to them. I can understand that.
2: Oh, me too. Me too. Once it was explained to me, I I had no idea. I just, I didn't know yep. anything about any of that stuff. And I said, oh, gee whiz, I'm really, really sorry. Um, but, you know, I market this blog on my website and on my social media <laughs> presence and all this stuff. So, it, you know, are you paying me for that? Because I'm, you know, it was an honest mistake. I, I had no idea. Once they explained it, they said, oh, no, we pay huge money for all this stuff. And yeah. now you've and marketed me, uh, it to
3: me, uh... Let me address also, uh, on top of the issue of who who brought the audience to the place where the audience is addressed, let me also say that uh, Colin Kaepernick is not a man with a free speech issue in front of him. If you read the First Amendment, the, the first five words of the First Amendment are, Congress shall make no law. The
1: First Amendment
3: is only a restraint on Congress. It is an order, a command to Congress in this new thing they call the United States government, a command to the legislature, do not make a law that, and then it makes a list of things the law is not allowed to do among them, to, uh, to limit people's freedom to speak. Colin Kaepernick is not being held with a cloth over his mouth because Congress made a law Congress didn't make a law, and Congress won't make a law concerning Colin Kaepernick. He does not come up in a discussion (laughs) of First Amendment rights because the First Amendment restrains Congress, and as far as I know, it restrains Congress successfully. Congress Mm -hmm. has not made a law restraining people's ability to speak freely, certainly not in the milieu of Colin Kaepernick and the 49ers. So forget about that business of claiming that his First Amendment rights would be violated by people ordering him to shut up. He doesn't have... First Amendment rights that permit him to speak about anything, anywhere, at any time. That's not what the First Amendment does. The First Amendment, like almost all of the Constitution, is a restraint on government, not a granting of freedoms to people. The assumption is God made people and made them free, and they're already free. And we don't have to write down in the founding document here that people are free. They already are. What we have to do is prevent this new government from abridging their freedoms. And so they made the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law. There's no possibility that the First Amendment has anything to do with any negative stuff that might happen to Kaepernick. The NFL has a right to tell him to shut up, to tell him to stand up and put his hand over his heart and sing the national anthem. And if he doesn't, they have a right to punish him for that. They can make it a job requirement. He can explain himself. Somewhere else in some other venue, he can explain that he doesn't agree with it. Somewhere else, he does not have the right to do that in the NFL's stage. They paid for the stage, like Reagan. I paid for this microphone. Don't forget, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's about where the money comes from.
2: Yeah, Amen. Well, okay. So this next question is um is sort of an open-ended one, and I kind of, I'm I'm I am tossing you a softball. And I'm lobbing it in. It's right over the fat part of the plate. And uh, so, you know, I know that you will do with this what I know that you can do. Um, what do you think is the biggest, what should be the greatest concern to American citizens today? What is the what is the biggest thing? According to Dave Perkins, what is the biggest concern Americans should have right now?
3: Well, if I can... Uh direct your attention to the outcome of the republican primary and the fact that our candidate is the one of 18 of them who had the least to say and knows the least about the constitution i would say we are in danger of losing the foundation of the country and if we lose the constitution if it becomes irrelevant by deliberate ignoring which is what's going on. Nobody's trying to repeal any amendments. They're just trying to ignore them. You know, President Obama, Hillary Clinton will continue what President Obama has done to try to, to try to damage the Second Amendment in a way that it very specifically says government can't do. It says shall not be infringed, which is nibbled at in little bits and pieces. That's exactly what government is doing because they know full well if they confronted the public and said it's time to repeal the Second Amendment, They would fail to get the majorities necessary because the public is too in love with the Second Amendment and, in fact, with all of the freedoms that the Constitution guards safeguards for us. I think our biggest problem is the deliberate abandonment of the Constitution by the left and the lack of interest and lack of uh, proper information about the value of the Constitution among the people who aren't on the hard left and so they sit and let it go away and very soon very soon if not already the constitution is out of reach and it may as well be torn up and thrown away
2: so okay you're a smart guy great connections will hillary clinton ever be brought to justice will she ever have to no no
3: Hillary Clinton will grow old, more ill, and die before the federal government apparatus is brought against her for anything resembling a crime. Nope, I'm afraid we are already sufficiently far away from the Constitution that we are a two-tiered justice system and the people on the inside are never, ever going to suffer the kind of punishment as the people on the outside. I just Let me just give you David Petraeus, as opposed to Hillary and everyone else on the left who have played games with, you know, secrets and information of that kind. There's just no way anyone gets anything like what Petraeus got, and he only revealed the information to a girlfriend, not to, you know, a Soviet spy. (laughs) To a girlfriend, to impress her. That's all he did. And he practically went to jail, had to quit, had to get out of the way. And at the last minute, Petraeus accepted that university job with a promise to shut up. And if not for that, he would have been in even more trouble. But mm-hmm. no, the two-tier justice system, regular guys will get smacked down instantaneously for what Hillary does. But Hillary never will.
2: We're,
3: we're too far down that road. It may end with her. We do have the opportunity to reel it back in. But Hillary herself, the Clintons themselves, will never be brought to face the fact that they've violated laws. And I'm, I'm still worried about the extending dead list. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's for sure. What's interesting to me is that um, Paula uh, Petraeus's girlfriend had has still has a top secret clearance, and it, and it's interesting to me that it, there's so many people that go under the bus, and others they're stomping their pedal, foot on the pedal, the gas pedal of the bus, and it's 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 exasperating. But this is this is where we are, and I think at some point or another. The American public has to be just through uh, allowing this to go on, and 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 we're a we're a very peaceable people. Uh, those of us who are conservatives, uh, but at some point or another, I think that peaceableness is going to go away. Listen, I know that you have a a big show tonight, and and I know your time is very precious. I sure appreciate it. I know our audience always appreciates every time you're on the show. Yes, you should write a book. Uh, I think you should also, and we have a mutual friend who is uh, one of the best uh, audio book narrators ever. And between you and she, I think that uh, a great audio book as well as a great uh, page turner could be written. And I'm, and I'm just encouraging you strenuously to write that book. <laughs> That's you. You're the one that did that. Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome, America. I'm doing my part to save the free world. Well, listen, brother, thank you so much for joining us today. I know our audience really appreciates it and I look forward to seeing you in person very, very soon. Been a pleasure, Dr. Sean. Thanks for the invite. Pleasure is mine, brother. Thank you. Have a great night. So America, there you have it. There you have it. Two very smart people telling you how it happened and how it, why it happened and, and, uh, and, and to some degree, what we can do about it. And, and some of the news is good. Some of it is really bad. So there you have it, folks. I mean, it's just, uh, it just is what it is. Hey, real quick, I want to tell you this really, really quick. Some folks said I went too fast last time. Uh, second call defense. Go to theninjapastor.com. There's a, a red banner at the bottom, complete legal protection for armed self-defense. Um, Or if you want to call Second Call Defense, you want to give them this number, write this down, 20630, 20630. If you don't want to do it on the internet, you want to just ask them some questions, excuse me, ask them some questions, 877-502-3300. That's 877-502-3300. The Ninja Pastor, tell them the Ninja Pastor sent you and give them this number, 20630. Um, I won't ever be without the protection. It's just the bottom line. It's, it's just absolutely the bottom line. Never again in my life will I ever be without that protection. Obviously I've carried a gun since 1983. I've hunted for many years before that. And, um, I just think it's a fool's errand to, to run around without this protection. Your homeowner's insurance, not only doesn't protect you, it excludes it. Um, and the, uh, the, the, defense attorneys, they're not going to be defending you they're going to be um, running from you because they don't, they don't even know. So America here, you've, you've joined me for two hours. We've had some great smart people on here, um, two, two really, really uh, absolutely incredible people. And, and we've talked about some things that are real things and, and where the rubber meets the road is when you go to center force, and they don't pay me. I'm going to say this again. They don't pay me. When you go to uh, the center for self governance.com. You click on your state and you sign up for the classes. If you come to Delaware, uh, get a hold of me. Tell tell me I'm a list. you say hey, I'm a listener. Uh, go to the contact me part of my website, the ninja pastor.com, dr dot com. And hey, I'm coming to a Delaware class. Will you come with me? I will not only come with you, but I'll help you complete your program requirements, your life will change. I'm telling you, your life will change. If we get enough people doing this, it's a big deal, folks. It's a big deal. You're going to learn things that you just are blown away by. It will change your life. It is absolutely hashtag the secret sauce. Thank you so much for joining me today. God bless you and God bless America. Stay strong, stay true. And don't forget to uh, follow me at at theninjapastor.com on Twitter. Uh, Go to God and Country Radio Show on the Facebook, um, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on, um, what's that darn thing? I always forget what that thing is with the pictures, Instagram, uh, go to Instagram. I'm at the Ninja pastor there too. And, uh, go to the Ninja pastor.com fill out the thing. It's just your name and, and, uh, email. You can get all the updates on what's going on. And if you want somebody to come speak at your event or your organization or your church, uh, you know, I have shoes. I will travel. I am not afraid to put shoes on to go in places and you know, you'll see it's kind of, we have a kind of a fun time. Thank you so much for joining me today. That's Ninja pastor saying ready to rock and roll. If you are.
1: Join us next time for the collision of faith and politics. And please follow this show at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at the Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio and at www.drSeanGreener.com. In the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining in this fight.